views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the individuals participating in the show. All persons described or mentioned in the podcast should be considered innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. This podcast contains subject matters such as violence and graphic descriptions along with adult language, which may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. On April 8th, 1980, a wealthy couple from New York check into a Holiday Inn in Brunswick, Georgia. They check in, they take their luggage to their room, but they are never seen again. You're listening to the Mysterious Bruce Podcast, and tonight we bring you the case of Charles and Catherine Romer. Welcome to a deep, dark, dank, moist basement somewhere in the bowels of Georgia. Well, coach them a couple of uh, crazy games this weekend. I thought Auburn was about to pull the upset in the Alabama. I was hoping that was going to happen, and I was hoping Georgia Tech would pull away, but they didn't. Well, I got to watching the last 10 minutes of the Alabama-Auburn game, and then they were up, and I was like, man, Auburn's going to win the Iron Bowl. And then I was like, oh, shit. Uh, No, they can't win the Iron Bowl because Saban has not lost back-to-back games since 2007. So I needed Saban to win. (laughs) It's going to get crazy, man, if if Alabama beats Georgia – Iowa beats Michigan, and whoever's playing Washington beats Washington. It's going to be chaos. It will be chaos, but if Georgia gets beat, they're out. And I really think the committee will make sure they're out. Um, and that's just coming from a Georgia fan, too. I don't. They don't have quality wins, I guess, in the eyes of the committee. But they beat Tennessee. They 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 beat. Uh, they beat Tennessee. They, <laughs> they, beat, yeah, they beat Ole Miss, Tennessee. Kentucky was ranked when they beat them. But that's the thing. You know, they keep saying, well, they those teams have fallen off since then. And well, Kentucky, I'm like, Kentucky upset Louisville? I mean, yeah, they on. did. Heater was ecstatic, brother. I know. He said it was hard to celebrate like he wanted to because his wife is a <laughs> Louisville fan. So, Oh, Rivalry game is no place for decorum. I mean, I saw more fights Friday and Saturday in football than I think I've seen in my entire life put together. They are fighting all everywhere. Everywhere. Hell, Tennessee and Vanderbilt got into it three plays in a row. Took like 15 minutes to run three offensive plays. See, and that's ridiculous. Come on, folks, just act like you got some sense. Just act like. But anyway, nobody gives a shit about our football knowledge. By the time you hear this, we'll be back to work. I know, damn it. Oh, it's awful. Record-setting numbers of weeks in a row of not winning that damn lottery. I know. Yeah, yeah. I've tried. I've really tried. It's almost like it's a profit thing. Like they're trying to make money off of it. It's almost like it's rigged, and you got to live in California to win the big one. 
I, th- I think there's something to that conspiracy theory. Oh, I agree with you. Because I've always said I didn't think anybody really wanted it anyway. But I think California's state government's taking some money. Funny how the, what is it, the, out of the, was it the five last huge amounts? Uh, out of the, the five biggest jackpots in lottery history, California has outright won three of them and shared one of them. Yeah, it's, I, I think there's something to it. I think there's something to it. I do too. All right, ladies and gents. I was looking at the old uh, Patreon. We've got no new members, but we did have a little uh, feedback on some of our Zygmunt Adamski, and people said this was a head-scratcher. that They had heard of it kind of like, you know, we were talking before we did it. Like I barely remembered what it was about, and then get into it, and you're like, "Damn, there's more meat on this bone than I thought." But anyway, all right. So, well, I got some positive feedback. Yeah, you did. What are you talking about? I ain't told you yet. <laughs> uh, I was talking about the your shout out. Appreciated your shout out. <laughs> She did, actually. She appreciated it. That was nice to hear from her. Um, she's doing well, I can report. Still a super cool lady. But anyway, I was talking about, I got a little positive feedback about the cat. Oh, yeah. Everybody <laughs> likes the cat. Everybody was saying that they love the cat when he just chimes in. He's bound to because he, he, he hasn't meowed in about four hours, so he's due. I don't even know where he is, actually. He's an old fat cat, so it's like, we're time's ticking, brother. We had one of them. My wife moved in when we first got married, and uh, that thing lived forever. I swear it was like Methuselah in cat years. My, my ex-wife's cat lived to be 22. Good Lord. Yeah, and then like caught pneumonia and was like, fluid in his lungs and doctor was like man i don't know (laughs) 22 is pretty good life so we did what we had to but that was a rough day that was a good cat yeah those those days suck sucks trying to make adult decisions when it comes to your animals yeah well let's get after it this one we are dealing with one that I had not heard of until you brought it up, and that is the case of Charles and Catherine Romer. I'm not sure where I saw this case. Probably reading something online, on the line. On the, on the YouTubers? Well, I think I read about it. I, ain't seen, I didn't do any YouTube research on this one. I've been busy. Well, we've got... One, Charles Robert Romer, who was born in August of 1906 to parents John and Mabel Romer. He was the oldest of four children and grew up in the New York City. Not the city, he just grew up in New York. It's the same place. There's no such thing as New York State. It's all Manhattan. Yeah, yeah. There's no boroughs. There's no anything like that. It's just Manhattan to me. And this is where he would spend most of his life. Charles was described as an intelligent, hardworking, and determined man. He would go on to have a 
extremely successful career in the oil industry, eventually becoming an executive for the Sinclair Oil Corporation. That's one of them our old ones that kind of got swallowed up by one of them big ones. So if you don't know Sinclair, you need to do a little research. But Charles would marry a woman named Jan O'Shea in 1929 in New Rochelle, New York. The couple had two sons together, Charles Jr. and Richard. Charles Sr. and Jane were very social and enjoyed attending equestrian events and hosting parties. They also owned property in Miami, Florida. Following Charles's retirement from the Sinclair Oil Company or Corporation, they often began spending their winters in Miami. This is better known as your typical snowbirds. Unfortunately, this all changed when Jane passed away in 1973 at the age of 65, leaving Charles a widower. Now, Catherine Blanchfield was born in July 1902 in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. In 1925, she met a man named Frank Keller, 13 years her senior. The couple would marry in 1926 and had one child together, a son named Frank Jr., Catherine was active in many clubs, and through the New York social scene, her and Frank became friends with that Charles and Jane Romer. Now, Frank would pass away in May of 1965, leaving behind a devastated family. Catherine, now a widow, eventually reconnected with Charles, and the two began to date and soon fell in love. They had both loved late in life. They had both lost their significant others and had already been friends prior. And everyone would state that the new couple was really happy that they found love again. Now, keep in mind that by this time, both Catherine and Charles were in their 70s and fully retired. So they had plenty of time on their hands to spend together. On December 3rd, 1974, the couple got married. And the newlyweds would soon move in to an apartment building, which Catherine owned in Scarsdale, New York. This would be home for most of the year. But just as Charles and his first wife, Jane, would do, he and Catherine began escaping the harsh New York winters each year by traveling down to Florida and staying in the Miami. Man, that's a, that is a drive, boy. Yes, it is. You can't get there Miami? from here. Hold, please. We about had a conundrum. You about hit, heard my fat ass hit the floor. My chair started rolling, and I had to hop up. A lesser athlete would have been harmed. <laughs> my ass would have been on the floor. I'll probably, I guarantee it. Uh, I got a new chair, Matt, and that thing's slicker now. Shit. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so every year... The new couple would pack up as soon as the cold weather weather rolled in and would make the long drive to Miami. The winter of 1980 was no exception. Charles and Catherine made the trip to Miami, having just celebrated their five-year wedding anniversary. Things were as good as always, and the couple enjoyed a great Miami winter together. By April, the weather was finally warming up in New York, and the Romers were ready to head home to Scarsdale. Probably by April, the heat in Miami started building. They're like, get me out of this. I guarantee it's awful. Oh, I do too. Now, keep in mind, people, this is 1980. 
So they're traveling back and forth from New York to Miami using the old Rand McNally. This is the time before the Google Maps and the Waze and whatever else you want to plot your courses. They had to break out the old map and plot their course state by state. So it was not a surprise that the couple stuck to the same route each year, even staying at the same hotels along the way. Now, Charles was a really meticulous person, so much so that he was the kind of man that recorded everything in a journal that he kept. If he had thought in his, or I'm sorry, if he had a thought in his head, it went into this journal. What his plans were, what his routine was that day, what he was going to do tomorrow, etc., Charles's last journal entry was on April 7th, and according to what was written, everything was normal. He wrote about how the couple planned to make the drive back to New York from Miami, and this drive would take the Romers approximately 18 hours, and at their age, they had decided to break the trip up into multiple days. They were 18 retired. hours? That's not bad, really. I it, thought it would be much longer. My dad just completed a drive from North Georgia to New Jersey, and I want to say he made it in 17 and a half, and he really would have made it quicker, but there was construction, and somehow it took him through downtown Philly. Oh, wow. Yeah, he said I, ha- he said I had a white knuckle grip on the steering wheel and the pistol. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like cities are just that, the most dangerous places. I've been to Philly. Everybody was so nice in Philly. Well, he was rolling through there in the witching hour. It was after 11 and... Oh, hell no. Yeah. So <laughs> his, his little butthole is a little, is a little tight. But anyway, so they're looking at an 18-hour trip. They've decided to bust it up into multiple days and take just a leisurely trek back to New York. And personally, after traveling to Fayetteville back in the early or late spring, I don't blame them because there's just certain times you're like, fuck it, I'm tired of driving. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't see how truckers do it, man. God, I don't either, man. I guess when you're getting paid every mile and hourly, it makes a little bit better. That's true. That's a good point. Now, the plan was the same as usual. Charles and Catherine planned to stop at the same hotel they always stayed at on their drive home, and this was the Holiday Inn in Brunswick, Georgia. Which is very south Georgia. I mean, they just, so. I mean, they barely just got over the line and was like, the hell with it. We're stopping. Yeah. I would, I would go a little further. Just a tad. Just me. Just me. But golly. It's like, well, we're going to stop. That's one state. <laughs> one state down. Let's, let's, let's stop for the night. <laughs> so on April 8th, 1980, the couple packed up their car and left Miami in the, their black Lincoln Continental. Later that same day, the couple arrived in Brunswick and checked into the Holiday Inn at approximately 3.51 p.m. Charles booked one room for one night. When the roamers get to their room, they took all their valuables from the car and brought them into the hotel room, leaving nothing of any value inside the car. Their usual routine at the hotel was to get comfortable, relax, grab some dinner, get to bed at a decent hour, and hop back on the road early the next morning. However, this time something went dreadfully wrong. Not long after Charles and Catherine got into their room, the couple vanished off the face 
of the earth. The last sighting of the two was by a hotel staff member who witnessed them carrying their belongings into their hotel room, shutting the door behind them. From that point on, it is a mystery to what happened to Charles and Catherine. So the next morning, April 9th, the day the Romers were supposedly going to check out and continue their journey back to New York, a housekeeper knocked on their hotel room door, but she didn't receive a response. At this point, she let herself in, and despite Charles and Catherine not being in the room, everything appeared to be in order. All of their belongings were still inside the room. Their clothes were hanging in the closet. Their luggage was stacked in a corner of the room. A bottle of scotch and two empty glasses were sitting on the nightstands. And on the other nightstand, a novel and a pair of reading glasses. Several plop, blah, blah, Several potted plants that Catherine was bringing back to New York were on the floor, along with Charles's journal, as well as the couple's tax forms. Tax forms? Yeah, and I didn't understand. But this is just like a blip. It says that their tax forms were spread out on the desk. So I don't know if, like, it is April 9th, so I don't know if he had been kind of working on his taxes because tax day is coming up. But that's the only thing I could think of. And like I said, Everything I researched, it has that little nugget of information, but it doesn't go into detail about it. Well, that would probably be a lot more odd any other month of the year. Correct. Now, this was a very typical scene, and there were no signs of any sort of struggle. It appeared as though the couple had simply walked out of the room. Seeing all of this, the housekeeper straightened up the room and left, thinking that they were going to return. By the time the housekeeper knocks... On the door, the Romers should have been well on their way back to New York and have checked out. They were very much creatures of habit, and under normal circumstances, they would have gotten up very early and got on the road. No one knows exactly why or what caused it, but there was a miscommunication between the housekeeper and the hotel staff. So no one was told that the Romer's belongings were still inside their room, a room they had only paid one night for. Hmm. They had not checked out, and it actually took a few days for the hotel staff to realize that Charles and Catherine were even missing. While this is strange, given the fact that they had only booked a one-night stay and never checked out, it is 1980. And you have to keep in mind that Brunswick, Georgia in 1980 was not a bustling tourist destination. No. It wasn't until the same housekeeper who had cleaned the Romer's room on April 9th went back to the room to clean it two days later and found the room looked exactly the same as it had the last time she had been there. The place had been untouched and the Romers were still nowhere to be found. This time she realized that something was wrong and instantly notified the management at the Holiday Inn, who in turn caused the Glenn County Police Department to report the couple missing. Glenn County realizes once they arrive on the scene that not only are Charles and Catherine missing, but so is their Lincoln Continental. So by this time, Charles and Catherine's children were starting to worry about them because while it was not uncommon for the Romers not to call every day, it was odd that they had not heard from them in such a long period of time since they were traveling back. Usually the couple would have checked in 
throughout their drive back, updating their children where they were, how things were going, but not this time. They hadn't heard a word from Charles or Catherine. Also, keep in mind, we're still talking about 1980. Cell phones were not an option. By the time investigators arrived at the hotel and began their investigation, the, the roamers had already been missing for several days. This put the investigators behind the eight ball because the last time anyone in the family had heard from the couple was on April the 6th. That's two days before they even left Miami. During that conversation, Charles spoke to his son, Charles Jr., and wished him a happy Easter. Phone records also showed that Charles had phoned their residence in Scarsdale, New York, at 4.17 p.m. that day and had spoken to their housekeeper, letting her know they would be home in a few days. So police began their search and immediately ruled out the couple would have just run off. This was a very stable couple in their 70s. There was no indication that they would ever want to run away or escape their lives. For them to go missing, something terrible must have happened after they checked into the hotel. The night the authorities are notified that the roamers are missing, detectives examining the hotel room found what was later determined to be roughly a half a million dollars worth of Catherine's jewelry. After speaking with family members, authorities determined that some of the jewelry was missing. A platinum ring with an emerald cut diamond and three pairs of earrings valued at $150,000 was missing. It was believed that Catherine was likely wearing at least some of those missing items. She was known to wear many expensive pieces everywhere she went. The only other items that appeared to be missing were Charles's wallet, thought to have contained $400 to $500, Catherine's purse, and the Lincoln Continental. And when it comes to Charles's wallet, they said that's about what he kept on him in cash every day. Like he always made sure he had anywhere between four hundred and five hundred dollars cash. Now police began searching the area, checking the local hospitals, and their thought process was that maybe something had happened to the couple and they were in the ER, but nothing turned up. They also checked the morgues, and again, nothing. Through so the, they're just gone. I mean, like blinked out of existence, gone with the car. With the car, yeah. So. Uh, damn, that's, it's a mystery. It's one of our <laughs> mysteries. <laughs> Through the combined efforts of Glenn County Police Department and the FBI, almost every square mile of Glenn County was searched. Since Brunswick is surrounded by water and basically located on a peninsula, it is typical that when someone goes missing along with their vehicle that it usually means they ended up in the water somehow. Police theorized that maybe the roamers were on their way to dinner that evening and had a car accident and ran off the road into the water. So follow- that was that was going to be my theory. Well, like nothing else I could think of. Well, following up on this theory, an extensive search was not only carried out by land but by air and also in each individual body of water along the route. Authorities went as far as to search every island within a twenty-mile radius of the hotel. But scuba divers, just like the searchers, came up with nothing. At the time, this became the largest search in the history of southern Georgia, but police found absolutely nothing. It was like the roamers had blinked out of existence in their car. 
Police would receive some strange tips during the investigation. Police sent out information about the roamers in their car, hoping someone in the area had seen or talked to them before or after they went missing. Detectives really had nothing to go on, so they were hoping the public could help in some fashion. Yeah, that's, oh man. I know, man. That's, I'm just thinking Those about things. their kids. Yeah. Not, no, no bueno, Bubba, no bueno. But anyway, so a Georgia State trooper told investigators that he had actually spotted a black Lincoln moving south towards Florida on the highway around 5 p.m. on April the 8th. This trooper said the car's Newark license plate read CRRCBR. These are the initials of Charles and Catherine Romer, but the car was roughly 40 miles south of the Holiday Inn in Brunswick. The state trooper was very confident in what he saw. This detail, while perplexing, only deepens the mystery because this was something that the Romers would not be doing. At their age, so, what happened? So there's I missed something. I was distracted. <laughs> there's a state patrolman. Yeah. After he hears about a missing couple, states that he's seen a black Lincoln with the license plate CRRCBR, which stands for Charles and Catherine Romer. Um, okay. But it's 40 miles south of Brunswick, headed back towards Florida. Hmm. And basically what the kids said that they would not be doing this at their age. The last thing they would do is want to check into a holiday inn and then hop back in the car and drive 40 minutes South to eat or do something. Yeah. Now, according to hotel employees, if you were to check, but, but if that's still, I mean, they were in the hotel, they drinking scotch and doing all kinds of things. So you think they would get drunk and getting behind the wheel and not realize, you know, we're going home. Well, that's another thing. That, but it, it, the way it sounds like that they checked in at like 3.51, this would have been an hour later when okay. they're seen. So I don't, I don't know, man. That's one thing I'll have to say. I don't, I'm not. Too so sure. you somehow, you somehow check in, get everything put away, have a couple scotches, and still make it 40 miles south in an hour, that's pretty hard to do. Not impossible, but pretty hard. Right. I would say very difficult at this point. And, yeah, it wouldn't be their nature. Like you said, it's not their nature. And it's not – I don't know. Are you just going to start pounding scotch and go, you know what? I saw this seafood restaurant, honey, about right at the Florida line. Let's go eat there. Yeah, it's just weird. I mean, it's, again, it's possible, but not likely. I don't, I don't buy into it. Well, neither was the family. So at at their age, the last thing they wanted to do is, after they've driven all day, is checking the Holiday Inn and then drive another hour back the way they came. So according yeah. to hotel employees, if you were to check into the hotel, you wouldn't need to drive very far to reach the nearest restaurant. And this is because the Holiday Inn at the time had a restaurant inside the lobby of the hotel. There was also a steakhouse very close to the hotel. So the Romers would not have needed to drive very far to reach a number of restaurants, especially not 40 miles south. Now, this supposed sighting is extremely odd due to the fact that if we are to believe that the trooper did in fact see the Romers, they had just checked into their hotel 
Then their car is seen 40 miles south driving back in the direction which they had just come. And to add to this little mystery detail, Charles and Catherine's children said they would have not done anything close to this because they would have tried to rest up for the night because they were going to hit the road the next morning. Now, another tip came from another officer who said they noticed the Romer's Lincoln parked at a strip mall south of Brunswick after 5 p.m. So we've got some conflicting reports here. Either they're Mm -hmm. right at the, either the car was right at the Florida line because 40 minutes south of Brunswick, you're damn near on the Florida line. Or it's at a strip mall near Brunswick. Now, the exact location of this strip mall has never been released to the public. Yet, another tip came from a local contractor from a man named Jim Wilson. Mr. Wilson would come forward to state that he had spoken to the Romers on the afternoon of April 8th at the hotel. Now, according to him, the couple had told him they were planning on going sightseeing on nearby Jekyll Island that evening. Now, Jekyll is about 20 miles away from from that Brunswick Holiday Inn. Mr. Wilson went on to say that the three of them even discussed going fishing. He also said that he saw the Romers talking to another unidentified couple a little bit later at the hotel. While he didn't remember much about the other couple, he believed that they said they were from New York as well. Police received this tip and share it with the Romers' children. The children are like, wait, hold up, this does not sound right at all. Charles Jr. was really suspicious of this Mr. Wilson's account. He said that Charles and Catherine would have been really tired after driving for that long. He knew his father and knew that they would have stayed close to the hotel. He said, quote, they weren't the type that went sightseeing. Usually they just check into a hotel, have a drink in their room, go down to dinner in the hotel restaurant, and then go to bed. It's very unusual that they would go out. Again, my gut feeling is that something happened here at the hotel not in the lobby, but possibly in the parking lot, end quote. So just to reemphasize what Junior is saying is it's not only out of character for the couple to make plans to go sightseeing, but it was also not believable at all. He believes that Charles and Catherine would have likely just gone to the hotel restaurant for dinner. He said, quote, they wouldn't want to leave all their valuables sitting in the room unattended for that long. And I have to agree with him. Uh, if I got a half a million dollars worth of jewelry in my hotel room, um, I'm not letting that out of my shot. He <sighs> believes that his father and his stepmother would have checked in, walked down to dinner, made their way back to the room, and then gone to bed. Straightforward, simple, predictable behavior. Creatures of habit. And like I said, remember, Catherine has half a million dollars worth of jewelry inside the hotel room and almost $150,000 worth of jewelry on her at the time. I don't know about you, but I don't own that much, and I'm about a 1,000% positive that I would not leave that jewelry unattended for more than five minutes. Can y'all get that dinner to go? I'm going to eat it in the room. Yeah, no doubt. So... Charles and Catherine are a third of their way into their trip to our back home to New York. Brunswick in 1980 does not scream, we need to go paint the town tonight, much less plan a sightseeing trip. So the question is, what does Mr. Wilson have to gain from injecting himself into the investigation with this claim? Now, another hotel guest reportedly stated 
They saw the Romers standing in the doorway of their hotel room at approximately 6 p.m. on the day they checked in, apparently speaking with another couple. The witness who saw them said the couple the Romers were talking to looked to be in their mid-40s and had a small dog with them. If we are to believe all of these sightings, the mystery into what really happened to Charles and Catherine only deepens. Police still have nothing to go on. The complete lack of evidence left investigators baffled. Their best educated guess was that the Romers had been victims of foul play. Now, Donald Flynn of the FBI said, quote, This mysterious disappearance has been of concern to us because they are predictable, responsible people, and it all just doesn't make sense unless you assume there was some foul play, end quote. Now, the authorities began to work on a more sinister theory. They believed that someone could have followed the Romers from Miami, gained access to their hotel room, and abducted them in the name of robbery. Now, this person or persons would have known the Romers were wealthy and had been stalking them. Captain F.D. Andrews, who worked the investigation, said, quote, the only thing we can think of, and it's only speculation, is that jewelry thieves surprised them in their room. It's a known fact that the Miami area, these people hang around resorts and watch for tourists, end quote. While this is plausible, why not just rob the roamers when they stop to get gas or stretch their legs before arriving in Brunswick? And there's one fact that contradicts this theory in its entirety, and that is the fact that all but four pieces of this half-million-dollar jewelry was found in the Romer's hotel room. Don't forget that the room showed no signs of either a struggle or pillaging. It just, I mean, it was just a normal hotel room. Yeah, it just looks like that, that they got up, went to get coffee, and never returned. It's so weird, man. And, like, no, no real security cameras there, I bet. No, the way Nothing I, like that. I was going to say, the way I kind of read into it was that basically, I mean, hell, me and my family used to go down to Jekyll Island every Memorial Day weekend. And I can tell you, there is nothing in Brunswick. No, probably, yeah, it's, to this day, there's probably not much. There is a paper mill plant that stinks up the whole town. And then once you get past it, you start smelling the ocean. So, I don't know. Now, it is possible that the jewelry that Catherine had on her could have been stolen, and that was the motive, but the lack of any clues or suspects or anything else that might shed light on what became of Charles and Catherine went understandably cold. Glenn County Police Lieutenant R.J. Smiley said, I've never seen anything like this. All we have is two missing people, and there's no law against being missing. Now, another logical theory is that they might have gone out that evening, perhaps to a restaurant, and like I said earlier, drove into a body of water at some point and were simply missed in all of the searches. However, according to authorities, all of the nearby local bodies of water were thoroughly searched. So to not locate any trace of the couple or their car is quite perplexing. Very much so. Now, months would pass with no leads, and Charles and Catherine's children struggled to come to terms with the disappearance of their parents. The heartbreak of losing them 
was made even more difficult by the lack of closure or evidence. They didn't have any idea of what happened to them or if they were even still alive. However, the family didn't give up. They set out and hired the Wacken Hunt Detective Agency out of Coral Gables, Florida. They sound very professional. And that's why, I, like, I giggled when I first saw this, but supposedly this detective agency was known all over the world and specialized in disappearances back in the 80s. So the Wacken Hunt detectives began a very in-depth investigation for the Romers, and during this three months investigation, they interviewed everyone that was possibly connected to the Romers in the Holiday Inn. They talked to the hotel staff, housekeepers, and other guests. The investigators would come back to the Romer's children and explain that they were just as perplexed as the local authorities. They found no proof, no leads, no clues, no evidence, ne'er a trace of the Romer's anywhere. One of the PIs did learn that a male hotel guest had claimed to have seen the Romer's leaving the hotel at approximately 7 p.m. on April the 8th. He stated that they were alone. Another alleged sighting of the Romers, which could rewrite the timeline of events. But, unfortunately, all efforts to locate this man for further questioning were for naught. Because the PIs only knew the man lived somewhere in Pennsylvania and could not find him. Wow. So, okay. Yeah, so I don't know how that, like, maybe they were going through the old police interviews and there was a guy named Bill and Bill said, hey, yeah, I remember seeing him around 7 p.m., but they didn't get Bill's name or address, like, last name or address. And so, they're not very good investigators. It is 1980, I'd say 1985 by this time, or 80, or let's go back, let's say 83. They, They disappeared in 80. Right, and so I would figure the kids are trying to get stuff figured out within two or three years of the disappearance, so... Yeah, what? It'd be like two or three weeks, man. Well, no, 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 I think they relied on um, local authorities. Oh, I got you, they relied on the authorities, I got you. Okay, that makes more sense. And then after that didn't work out, they were like, you know what, we're hiring the whacking hunts, because they get it done. They're like the, whatever the hell that... Old West corrupt organization was. I can't remember what it's uh, Pinkertons. They're like the, the Pinkertons. Pink- <laughs> we don't like the Pinkertons. No, we don't. Now, Charles Jr., Frank Jr., and Richard were disturbed by their parents' disappearance. They made a point to return to Georgia every year with the hope of finding answers. Charles Jr. said, I think about it daily. I think the whole family thinks about it. We just hope that someday someone will find a clue. Five years after they went missing, on that ill-fated April evening, Charles and Catherine Romer were declared legally dead in 1985. Sadly, Richard, Frank Frank Jr., and Charles Jr. have all since passed away. Richard passed in 1992, Frank Jr. passed in 2001, and Charles Jr. in 2007. Case has remained cold for years. Now, in early 2023, it ventures with a purpose. A private Oregon-based search and rescue dive team conducted their own search for the roamers. Their hopes were that maybe, just maybe, they would find something like the roamers' car or any sign of the couple. But just like their previous investigators, they also had no success. Whatever happened to Charles 
and Catherine after they checked into the Holiday Inn in Brunswick, Georgia, remains a mystery. Now, if you believe the answer lies in the robbery theory, you have to quickly give up because 90% of that half a million dollars worth of jewelry was inside the Romer's hotel room. If there was robbery, that jewelry inside would have been stolen, but there it sat untouched. A second possible theory is, could this disappearance be connected to Charles and his job as an oil executive? Did these disappearances have any connection to Charles and his line of business that he still maintained? This is also a possibility, but it seems rather unlikely. For one, Charles was retired. He was long out of business, so why would someone now come for him in the middle of a road trip? Charles wasn't in the midst of any big disputes. His journals didn't mention any types of problems or fighting with anyone or that he had any big business dealings as a consultant. Some people who believe that Charles's old days are to blame for his and Catherine's disappearance point to what happened in 1983. Just three years after Charles and Catherine went missing, another retired millionaire oil executive and his wife were found murdered inside their Sea Island, Georgia home. Now, if you're not from South Georgia, North Florida, you just don't know about that Sea Island. Sea Island is a very posh, lush, five-mile strip of land in the Georgia Golden Isles. It's a very popular destination for the wealthy. Sea Island is only 20, 20 minutes away from Brunswick and the Holiday Inn where the Romers were staying. Now, the bodies of W. Britt Roberts, 61, and his wife, Merrill Roberts, 52, were found at their home after a worried neighbor called police. The couple had planned to attend a party that evening before, and they never showed up. So the neighbor, being concerned, phoned the authorities. Mr. Roberts was the former president of Chevron Oil International, a division of the giant petroleum business. He was elected president of Chevron International in 1965 and held that position until 1977. Roberts was a down-to-earth guy who became well-known in the town of Sea Island when he and his wife moved there in 79. Tragically, the couple were discovered murdered in different bathtubs of their mansion with their hands bound with electrical tape. Oh, wow. Robbery appeared to have been the motive because their house was pillaged and many of their valuables were stolen. Now, they're... Why murder them? That's what I don't understand. Wear a mask, time up, take the shit, but don't kill them. God, that's just... (sighs) I don't know, dude. I don't know. Man, there's so much evil in this fucking world. You're right. Now, their killers were identified as one Theodore Woodward, 28, from Brunswick, Georgia, but before he could be questioned in the killing, he passed away on August the 3rd. You may be asking yourself, how did this happen? Well, C.O. Theodore said, I ain't going to jail, and he drank seven ounces of weed killer and then led police on a high-speed chase in the Roberts' BMW sports car. That'll do it. Yeah. I mean, he made sure he was not going to jail. That'll do it. Later. That weed weed killer is not good for you. It's got to be painful, too, man. Like, it's it's like basically eating your guts away. 
But anyway, later, his accomplice in the murders, one 19-year-old Kenneth Blanks, also from Brunswick, was charged and sentenced to death for the double murder. Banks told or Blanks told investigators that the two men forced their way into Robert's home at gunpoint, then suffocated the couple. Again, stupid. Investigators in the Roberts case learned that Theodore had worked as a landscaper and could have possibly worked for the Roberts at one time, thus casing the place. Now, the off twins, Jerk and Jack here, also were connected to a shooting of a Brunswick cab driver named George Francis. Again, they were looking to rob young George. So the two men were never charged or even publicly linked to Charles and Catherine Romer's disappearance. The two cases are three years apart, but there are some similarities between them. One is the fact that both men were very wealthy oil executives, and the other is that both the men charged in the Roberts case were from Brunswick, Georgia, which means they were local yokels. It is a weak tie, but it is those are a couple of coincidences just the same. So were the Romers targeted that evening just as the Roberts were? And if you go along this rabbit hole or you get into these weeds, they could have not known, these two dumbasses could not have known about the half a million dollars in the hotel room and only saw Catherine wearing this, you know, huge ring with these big earrings and thought, hell, we'll just take those and then something happens. I think that's, I think that's likely that it was just a crime of opportunity and they pounced on them. You know, they see an old couple. This, we can overpower him, no problem. Yeah. Now, another possibility would be if Charles and Catherine decided to go out for dinner that evening, leave the hotel, then get into some kind of accident that resulted in them ending up in the water. Again, we've discussed this and it seems possible and plausible Hypothetically speaking, maybe they did decide to head out to dinner that evening. Perhaps they didn't like what was being served at the hotel restaurant, or maybe they knew of a restaurant in Brunswick that they had seen an advertisement for. So they decided to venture out and then got into an accident and drove off the road. At the time, the Romers would have been very close to a drawbridge, and it's possible they could have accidentally driven off. Keep in mind that this body of water was searched on numerous occasions and there was nothing found. Now, I have to put that in there, but let me explain something to you youngins out there. As someone who traveled those drawbridges between Brunswick and St. Simons and Jekyll Island during the early early 80s when I was a a wee lad, (laughs) every damn Memorial Day weekend, there is literally no damn way possible they quote accidentally drove their lincoln into the water not only did the bridges have those pop-up blockers for the drawbridge to go up the rails of the bridges were so high that a car could not make it over them and i had to explain this to my wife it was one of those steel metal not chairs but railings like it was a big metal tube And it was probably, I'd say, a four-inch steel tube, and it had like three rungs going up. So as you're trying to look out the window of a car, you're looking through these guardrails built into the bridge to see if the tugboat's coming or if the drawbridge is going up or down. I'm not saying it's not possible to, like, get a Big Daddy Lincoln up on the edge and get it up there, but I just don't... They took precautions. They don't... 
you're not going to be able to do that without leaving evidence of doing that. Right. They would have been chipped paint, black paint transferred. They would have been witnesses, all of that stuff. Again, I just don't, while it's plausible, I just don't find it, po- you know, really plausible. It's possible, but unlikely. Yeah. Very unlikely. So the oddest thing outside of the Romers just vanishing is Mr. Wilson, who stated that Charles and Catherine were going sightseeing that evening. Charles Jr. was always suspicious of Mr. Wilson's story. The question is, like I posed before, was Mr. Wilson telling the truth or was he lying? If he's lying, to what extent? What are you going to gain? It was 1980. He may have made the local newspapers in and around Brunswick, possibly more than likely made the newspapers in Savannah on a long shot. He made the Atlanta journal and constitution about them disappearing, but I couldn't find any TV interviews or news specials that had him on there saying, yeah, I saw him and we were planning on going fishing. So again, to what end, I know people interject themselves into stuff to gain notoriety. I just don't feel like back then that notoriety would have done him any good. I may be totally off base. I mean, there may be archival footage at the Glen County Library that shoots my little theory to shitting back, but I couldn't find anything. Now, another thing is what is up with the sightings of the car. Were the Romers driving around Brunswick and 40 miles southward within five minutes of each other? Did they get lost? If it were not the Romers in the Big Daddy Lincoln, then who was? If the car had been stolen, why has it never been spotted again? This is one of our famous cases that you can talk yourself into a theory and then just as quickly as you talk yourself into it, you can talk yourself out of it because you're like, nope, dumbass it. Gotta look at this angle, and that shoots that one to the hellbin back. Very true. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the case of Charles and Catherine Romer. I would like to hear what y'all think. We always ask, but I just don't know. I mean, like the more I verbal, I guess verbalizing my research, I'm kind of like you. Like maybe it was a crime of opportunity. You know, maybe they just happen to. Plausible, like, but I mean, two local yokels are just going to be able to get rid of a body successfully like that, and then turn around three years later and shit the bed and suffocate two rich people on Sea Island like they wasn't going to be found. Yeah, and successfully get rid of the bodies and the, get rid of the car, get rid of everything. I don't know. I don't either, man. It was 1980. It was much easier to do something like that than it is now, but still. Again, very plausible theories out there, but... And it's not... We're not talking about, like, very acidic water where you could drive it off into a swamp. I'm sure there's a swamp around there. Don't get me wrong. But you would think if there was a swamp that had a reputation of people dumping crap in it, that that would have been one of the first places they searched and it sounds like at the time they you know glenn county wasn't your average south georgia police department and they were like look we got a missing couple wealthy from new york we need fbi agents and so i just don't feel like they didn't do their due diligence i guess is what i'm saying yeah but anyway so recommendations young coach 
I have to recommend the return of the mystery at Blind Frog Ranch. I do like him off some books. He likes to say that all the time. I like that show, and I think if any show of this this tie-up, this tie-up, any show of this type's going to find something, I think it's going to be them. Well, he's on the ranch for like 10 years and kind of dabbled in it, and it sounds like he's got some financial backing now to kind of help him. Uh, He's clearly a rich man. He's got excavators and all kinds of shit. Yeah, and he's got that archaeologist this season. And I'm sure the show is helping pay. I'm sure the show is paying him pretty good. Yeah, I would too. I'm going to recommend the Amazon Prime special, The Hunters, with Al Pacino. Uh, It's about... It's called The Hunters, Hmm. and it's about a little tight-knit group of Jewish Holocaust survivors who realize real quickly that some of these very nasty Nazis were allowed to come over to America and start a new life, and they hunt them down one by one. Uh, Spoiler alert, they go along with the first season and into the second season that Hitler did escape, and they track his ass to South America. So if you like that angle, they take some creative liberty and uh, and bring one Fjellar to uh, justice. But it's very good. Uh, Al Pacino does, I think he does a pretty good Jewish accent. The, now, the main character, he's a young guy in his 20s. He'll make you want to reach through the screen and choke slam him, but... Is that his role? Is that what yeah, he's supposed to do? he's a pacifist. So he's a good job, huh? Yeah, he's doing a very good job. He's a pacifist, and I'm like, dude, you're going to have to, like, just nut up. So, but anyway, that's my recommendation. My other recommendation is, hopefully, y'all got to enjoy some time off during the holiday. And could recharge your battery. And we are, what, three weeks from Christmas now? Four weeks? Something like that. I don't know. It's a month from yesterday. Yeah. So we are. I know we have three weeks until the kiddos disappear. So. I think we got four. Yeah, we got four weeks. We go up. Well, the kids' last day is the 14th. Our last day is the 15th. And then. um, of course, you know, hell, we go back that first Monday after New Year's Day now. We got to get back in there. Golly. I don't know when we go back. I don't either. I think we go back the third, maybe. I will say that that is the most depressing time as a teacher because the next thing you have to look forward to is two weeks. You get uh, Martin Luther King weekend. And then after that, you just holding on till spring break. <laughs> Dude, man, like I got all, all my IEPs are coming up. I ain't done but one. I got the rest of them next semester. I got to do the GAA. I got a conference I got to go to. I got a whole bunch of shit, not to mention wrestling season. Yeah, we may have to start phoning these in. I kind of already do that. <laughs> well, yeah, we do, but we may have to actually use a phone this time instead of a computer. No, I'm saying I just phone it in, you know. I got you. I got you. You you put forth the actual effort. Well, Coach, you got anything else for the young podcasters out there? Well, you know I don't. 
Uh, deuces.